Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. I'd like to start by acknowledging where we are gathering tonight on the land of the traditional owners. <laughs> the stripping and the lights are changing, sorry. Um, we are gathering on the lands of um, the Boonarong and the Wurundjeri people tonight. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past and present and any elders present tonight. I'd also like to acknowledge, when I was thinking about tonight, where we are specifically, in a kind of cathedral to red meat and another kind of colonial animal or animals. And also animals that are connected to climate change in this country and around the world. And... It's just, I just want to acknowledge that because it's such a strange building. It's like a museum to that part of our history. So here we are. And <laughs> here we are. Uh, we can't see each other because of the lights. Um, but we're here with the director of tonight's performance, Rachel Swain. Hello. Hello. Um, welcome to this talk. Thank you. This, this is a conversation today and what we do we're going to be receiving different uh, company members as they become dry oh here's Dahlia oh she's just making her entrance hello hello welcome nice to see you good to see you oh it's still a bit wet this is Mary hi Mary this is everyone Hi. <laughs> um, what we do at the beginning of these things is, this is a conversation, right? So you now have one minute to talk to somebody you don't know near you to figure out what the right question to ask is tonight, okay? And maybe there'll be time for you to ask it and we'll get the answer. We need to know what the right question is, okay? One minute starts now. Okay, that one minute is up. The, the countdown has ended. Um, I can see some people are poised with questions, but because um, I am the chair, I get to ask a first question. So you two, you two are both the directors, the co-directors of this work, aren't you? Is that right? Of the company. Of the company. Dahlia um, and I conceived the work together, and Dahlia is the co-choreographer with Serge Me Koulibaly, who's from uh, Burkina Faso in West Africa and lives in Brussels. And uh, Serge May has worked with Dahlia and I for 12, over 12 years, I think. So he's a long history with the company. Mm. And Dahlia obviously performs in it as well, so she's multi-talented. Yes, she likes to have all the jobs. <laughs> could, could, you, <laughs> could you tell us something about the, how you two started together? What was your... No, 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 your collaboration, you know, well, this combination. I, oops. Rachel and I um, have been working together for about 22 years now, since I was like 18. Um, our first production, Mimi, we uh, formed the company for a project called Mimi, a uh, performance that um, had us working with some amazing elders and um, uh, traditional dancers from uh, Gunbalanya in Arnhem Land, Gunwinkle people, and we... Um, help them to keep the story of the Mimi spirit alive. So we met many, many, many years ago. And um, as I grew in, into the company, um, I was uh, 
proposed with the idea of being co-artistic director with Rachel in about 2009, something like that. So, um, yeah, and learning the ropes and, yeah, having fun doing it. So we've known each other for about 22 years. Yeah. And this is Nairi Pigram down the end, Dahlia's cousin. <laughs> and this is Eric Avery. And here's Edwin Mulligan. <laughs> so we're just waiting for one more, then we have a whole set. He's, he's busy. No, it's not coming. Correct. Okay, now, it's really about you, so this is a chance for you to ask questions. We are recording the session tonight, so I may, if I can't get the mic to you, uh, repeat your question for the purposes of the recording. Okay. Oh, here's Josh. This is Josh Moo. Yes, I'm going to pass you this mic. Hello, my name is Susanna Augustin. You have a relation here. He's a new, new Jabba Jabba number. Um, boy, Elijah Augustin, Waki's son. Um, we saw you up in, we were up on country, and we saw you up in um, Wanam Point, and that was awesome. Um, you said you were going to go overseas when we were up there. You went to Germany or something? Yeah. yeah. Well, how, how did it go? How did they embrace or understand what's happening here in Australia? Who'd like to answer that? We <laughs> 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 um, can all have a go, maybe, but... Um, Give us a start. Some of the uh, review We took it over. You're always... Um, I mean, we build the work so that it's um, multi-layered and, and hopefully we, you know, open people to a place where they can feel the work. Um, uh, Maybe you could say about where the work's been since, yeah, you, so since first, you first made it. Yep, it's been to... Oh, God, everywhere. But it's... Um, overseas, it's been to Luxembourg, um, Ludwigshafen, uh, Brussels, and... What else have we done this week? Yes, <laughs> we premiered at Perth Festival in uh, March 2015. Uh, we then took the work up into the Kimberley. So you saw this in Arialun up at the Dampier Peninsula. That's so awesome. Um, so Marigaku is very committed. Uh, obviously, we make the works uh, in the northwest of Australia, and we're very committed to touring the work to the remote communities that deal with the issues that um, we explore in the work. So it's a big deal to go to a lot of places where there are no venues and often not much power um, and the, you'll see we don't have many lights in the air because the piece is designed so that it can tour remote communities and be presented outdoors so we toured it um, did a regional and remote western Australian tour and then we went to to Germany. Uh, we also played Woe Madelaide, which was kind of awesome on one of the huge stages last year. And uh, we did Sydney Festival in January in the Sydney Opera House. And the next place we're going is uh, Numia to the Centre Thibault at the Canuck Cultural Centre in New Caledonia. So the show's having quite a life, which is awesome. And it will be going back to Europe next year as well. So I suppose the next question then is, what is it like to perform the work outdoors and, you know, what's it like to perform outdoors compared to these in all these like big, 
fancy theatres that you've been going to around the world? Or, or what maybe has your, been your favourite performance? The outdoors performances are the best. <laughs> Adi Lun and Mo and Jim. Um, this so great. We had just kids and dogs pissing on stage and, <laughs> and, you know, a sense of life about it and being under the stars with tangling with the wind and it felt where the work was always supposed to be. So that's my favourite. Anyone else want to answer? Was that the same answer for everyone? It was, they were pretty sp- Those ones were very interesting and intimate and, um, yeah, they were awesome. They're the ones out in the community with just small... And, and people that... Um, young kids that hadn't seen a show before, a lot of them, so um, they're just so happy and just their energy is just gorgeous when, when you're doing it. They don't care, they'll sing out, you know, and it's great. It, it, it makes you, I don't know, I feel more alive when I'm doing shows in front of people that are really, you know, well, yeah, they're not hushing because it's the theatre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe we could ask what... Could you tell us a bit about what it's like to see the show for a second time and how it compares to where, what it was like last time, wherever it was you saw it? Um, um, the funniest thing is the kangaroo because one, one of the dogs got scared. <laughs> yeah. That's the funniest thing, that funniest part I've seen when the dog got scared of the kangaroo. <laughs> He did a good job, though, and I told him don't burst out laughing because it is a serious part. <laughs> but, but it is. Uh, watching it with the children there was absolutely... And that was my question, how did they take it over there in Europe? Because they don't know the outback in Australia. And, yeah, how did they get this message? Did they understand the message of what's happening here? Yeah. Edwin wants to say something about the kangaroo first. Yeah, um... You know, uh, the, the kangaroo plays a very significant role in this, um, in this performance. It was um, during, back in 2008, when I, um, one of my cousin brothers said, hey, uh, brother boys, you might want to give yourself an opportunity to go visit your grandfather's country. And I told him, where's that? He said, the Great Sandy Desert. Uh, it was at a place called Ganingara, middle of nowhere. They call that place No Man's Land. It's uh, Jilangura. Jilangura means No Man's Land. When I got there in 2008, and, um, we stayed out, out on country for about nine days. We had to um, leave our mobile phones and, and just go out country. We were like performing ceremonies and sleeping under the stars and sharing stories. Anyway, um, they told me one story about my grandfather. He said, oh, yeah, one of your forefathers had walked out from here, Kaningara. He made about nearly 200 kilometers from foot, about a week's walk. And um, I sat down and had a moment of silence just to reflect the stories and feel the energy of that place. I went away and I um, thought about this story. They told me, there you your grandfather walked out from here. And um, he came back 40 years ago. And the young fellas went out hunting and they came back with this cooked kangaroo meat. They'd given it to him. He looked at the cooked kangaroo meat, looked at the young fellas, looked at the cooked kangaroo meat, looked at the young fellas, and then he cried over that cooked kangaroo meat. And when he had finished crying over that cooked kangaroo meat, 
the young fellas said, hey old man, what's your story with you crying over that cooked kangaroo meat? He looked at them and said, back in my days, when we were nomads, living in this part and moving by seasons, kangaroo never been heard of. We hear about it, but we never seen it. But when we went to the river country, we seen this funny looking animal jumping. And we said, what's that? And they told us, that's a kangaroo. Talk about, the, um, talk about this country, you know, the land of the kangaroos. Some places had no kangaroos. Well, he come from a part, an area called the Great Sandy Desert, right in the middle of it, near Gibson Desert. Anyway, um, and he said, just because this kangaroo went to the significant place, we, as the last of the nomads, we see this kangaroo as a symbol. Our people will be, will be debating about weather patterns, environmental issues, especially your generation. And I never thought in, in my time I would see this day for a kangaroo to come back to this place. So the kangaroo plays a pretty significant role. But anyway, that's my version on that kangaroo. <laughs> Thank you. Would you like to answer the question about reception in Germany? Germany? Yeah. yeah. So we played in, uh, in Germany, in uh, uh, Luxembourg and in Brussels. So three quite different contexts, really. The, the reviews were great. In Germany, they called it an eco-drama. And, I mean, it was kind of interesting that they, in a sense, they reviewed it as a piece of theatre and I really looked very closely and possibly more closely. I think in Australia, a lot of things get taken for granted and there's a lot of subtlety in this work in terms of presenting a very complicated idea about what's above and below the Earth's crust and our relationship with non-human animals and, you know, the atmosphere and the minerals. And they really, I think they were kind of able to get over something Australians find it harder to get over to look in from the outside. So, you know, in, in general, we got very positive reactions. We always have people, some people with this show who just can't go for the ride with it. Uh, and we always have people who love it passion passionately. And so we kind of get the full spectrum. But I think we're really trying to bring a different logic and, and as Dahlia said, o open people up to kind of feel country and um, feel the, the weather patterns, feel the change, feel climate change in a way that the analytical mind can kind of get out of the way. So... You know, we got a bit of that in Europe. I'm sure we got the ones that were, like, a bit confused. And we got also, as usual, the kind of exotic, well, we liked the traditional songs response, <laughs> you know. So you get the whole thing. <laughs> Great. Does anyone else have a question? Just raise your hand if you have a question. We'll come to you, and then there's a question from the back. Uh, you asked us to ask someone we didn't know. So I did, and I asked the people next to me who I don't know, didn't know before. And we all had this similar question. Why, what was the thinking behind having uh, subtitles? What was the thinking about the subtitles? Um, because we're in an international conference and there are a lot of people speaking uh, with uh, English isn't their first language, um, we, we found that... Uh, when people who are not from Australia are not used to hearing a Kimberley accent, then we put up the surtitles. 
um, in different countries. Uh, we've surtitled them in, obviously, in German and different languages. But in, in, because we're part of PSI and there's a lot of people here from different places, we put that up. And because Edwin's words are really beautiful and the content of his poems, very multi-layered. There's a lot for people to really comprehend. So we really wanted people to just kind of sit, have every chance possible to sit with that information. But at Sydney Festival, we didn't do them more recently. And a question from the back. Yeah, I'm interested, um, you know, you say about hearing the land. Well, hearing the language of the land is actually a really important part of that. Can you tell us a bit about language and which language it, you're speaking, Edwin, and um, perhaps about the state of that language? You know, one of the tragedies that often gets lost is the loss of language in this land. Sorry, um, could you repeat that again? Because English is my third language. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, Edwin, can you tell us what your language is, where it's from, and, and how you feel about language and the kind of politics of language in the show, I suppose? Um, I never thought about language too much because I, uh, I grew up in a community where there was about eight different languages spoken including English, and also there's another language, Creole. Creole is like breaking English. No good English, they call that. Um, but, um, but it was a language that we spoke, and I still speak that language, broken English. It's common, and um, I've been speaking English. But I actually hear English a lot, but I never put English into my tongue. Uh, in my age group, you know, people can speak about four or three languages, my father's age group, they're about 74, 75 year old. People like in that age group can speak 10. We are multi-language you know, speaking people in, in our communities. In Broome, I was staying there. Uh, these days I live in Broome. And um, the Creole there, the accent is different to ours. So um, it's, it's more English. But there's, there's, there's a lot of slang. And, um, but it's good. It's good to have a need for listening. So when you're speaking to people, you can be able to relate with that language. Uh, my language, well, I'm, I'm from Central Kimberleys, you've, uh, a place called Fitzroy Crossing Valley. There's about five different language groups there, and they're breaking up into more than 150 clan groups, and they all have different, line, have different dialogues. And, yeah, it's a very multi-language place, but Creole is a it, especially nowadays from the 80s, early 90s, and uh, yeah, early 90s to 2000, Creole is very common. Back in the 80s and 70s, we used to speak, you know, half a dozen, half a dozen languages. Oh, yeah, my, my language, my father's language, they're one majority, they're desert people. In Kimberley itself, there's about 40 different languages. In Future Crossing, there's about five different languages. So we follow this. They're, they're all from the Fitra River. There's Walmajari, Wangajunga, Bonoba, Koneandi, and Nigana. But also there's, a, there's also neighboring tribes. Those five languages, they represent fingers of the hand. So those languages, I keep them like that. 
And I might get uh, Eric to also answer the same question, and maybe Dahlia yeah. as well. Also, yeah, and my mother's they all Nigana people, so I grew up speaking Nigana, and then, yeah, and Mon Majeri and... Yeah, I, my mob uh, from New South Wales, I'm Ngampa. Um, my, well, my dad's Ngampa and my mother, she's Yuan. Uh, Ngampa mob, they kept their language for a long time in New South Wales, considering all the, um, you know, the onslaught of invasion and colonisation. So um, it wasn't until 1994 that my great-granddad passed away and he could speak full language, and he was involved in the Nyampa program for recording language with Tamsin Donaldson, the linguist. Um, and so that's how I've been reclaiming my language in the show. So the song that you heard was a song inspired by... <coughs> Sorry. It was a song inspired by um, my great-grand... Well, one of my... Well, a song that came into my family... So, yeah, it was inspired by that and it was talking about there's too much rain. So, yeah, that's been part of my practice is to look at songs and language and learn them from recordings. And then, yeah, I've been working for the last few years with these guys in, like, putting the language in the show. And it was also good to hear their languages too because um, a lot of... Uh, just some similar things but different meanings to words but... Some similar sounds, like there's a lot of there's sounds that are similar. And investigating those song lines and those connections, yeah, that has been very, very strengthening. And it's also been a way to sort of, yeah, teach and learn. So, yeah, that's been good in a way because you don't normally hear New South Wales languages um, and you don't normally hear... New South Wales song so yeah that's been yeah I mean I was I was sort of playing a refugee so that sort of yeah it showed it allowed that sort of idea of language that yeah it's a political weapon in that English it can be used as a way to put down black people to put down Aboriginal people. Um, and it's the way that it's structured. And so to actually decolonise the language, we've already done that. Kuris and lots of Aboriginal people, we've already done that. We've already decolonised the language. That's why we speak it differently. We speak it in a more literal way than what you would um, speak it. Um, we have different connotations and understandings and meanings of what English is. And so to actually learn my language and to learn, you know, I'm going to uni now, learning about English and how it's shaped. Um, yeah, it's a very, it's the way that blackfellas have shaped English to be, how we speak it, is not as colonising, I think. So, yeah, that's the political, answer your little political side. Um, I teach language back at home to, I don't know, 400 and something odd kids at a primary school from kindy right through to year six. I teach Yaru language. I learned from one of my elders, Doris Edgar, who passed away now. She was one of the last remaining full speakers of our language. 
language is everything to us. Language is utmost important. So our process allows, uh, you know, all these artists here, amazing artists, draw from their own stories, their own bodies. You know, being co uh, co choreographer means sort of nothing. It just gives me the opportunity with Serge to shape the scenes for the bigger picture. But these guys offer everything out of themselves to for what you see up there, and and those reactions like everything that fuels that fire in their belly, like re revitalising their own language or, or finding a way to share a perspective of looking at country or um, what, whatever it is, the way that Nairi sings the songs. They're in English, but they're with her grit and her growl. And, you know, we all draw from all those things that make, um, you know, with this content of climate change and how we look at... Um, the earth and all that, everything is fueled with um, personal things that exist in us and, you know, the drive for language is a really strong one in, in the company, in all our works. We find every, every excuse to put language in wherever we can, so um, especially when we're, um, you know, revitalising and, you know, it's too beautiful. We want all Aboriginal languages to be heard and any chance to do that will we'll accommodate. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we've got time for one more question, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm only saying I'm afraid because we, the, the answers have been so fulsome and great. Oh, no, you do. You do. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> because we're recording. Um, could you talk a bit more about process, like how you made the show, if, if for anyone wants to talk about that? Could you make it a bit more specific? Um... How did, because you've talked a lot about language, maybe talk a bit more about movement, like how you made the movement that you did? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a question for you, right? Or oh, maybe... Josh! Josh! <laughs> Thought you'd get away with it, didn't you? Yeah. Thanks. No. <laughs> um, there's a few different processes that we used. Um, some of them were improvisation-based, uh, I remember one, we watched um, a film called The Green Ant's Dream and we draw inspiration from that and I took a, a guy that was on, a, on a, tra a tractor or a bulldozer and he was extremely angry and so I started ranting off all these lines while, uh, while whirling my body around pretending I was in a cyclone. Um, that was one. Improvised that for a while. Uh, one, one of them that re I drew a lot from was um, one of the first scenes you saw um, in the cyclone. Um, I'm a Darwin boy, so I'm sort of used to the big storms, and that was really uh, fulfilling for me because I could draw a lot from the different feels of storm or the eye of the storm. And uh, Generally, my practice is pu purely dance, a bit of theatre, but I'm more of a mover. Um, other processes, uh, Rach and Dahlia will come in with an idea and we'll just test it out on the floor. Other, other processes, uh, there might be a story map of uh, we each have a role to play. Um, Miri is like a geologist. Eric's like a refugee. I'm this angry laborer sort of guy who just wants to get his job done and get the fracking going on. 
Um, and drawing, drawing from those characterizations is an interesting way for us to pull movement out. Also, just in terms of uh, posture, body behavior, way we want to uh, traverse through space um, beyond the idea of uh, stepping our body around. And it's usually a lot more fulfilling because you create a state for yourself to build upon. And then from that, you can launch into more narration and also be guided by what Edwin is saying through his beautiful words or Nairi's singing. Um, I'm sure everyone else has other things they could offer. One of, one of the early processes um, were, was called Listening to Country and so Rachel and Dahlia and their families took us out into country um, up around the Kimberleys and, and it, it was about us thinking about what that means to listen to country and to bring those sort of feelings and insights back into the studio after um, being out in country in these quite moving and beautiful places um, and sad places, some of them. Um, and so some of the movement that you'll see in the show, particularly maybe um, the duet that Josh and I did, is almost a direct response from... Um, the feeling of being in a particular place that, that these guys took us to and the sensation of water moving through rocks and tunnels and um, the, the coolness of the water and its changing forms. And so these kind of more subtle feeling, feeling things become translated into the, into the dance and then they, they also become something else after that as well. But um, that, that initial impulse is impulse of first listening and then responding it was kind of a foundation for a lot of the movement in the work would you like the final word about the movement no 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 it won't be the very final word but you know the last the last comment about the movement yeah well we had um the privilege of having three weeks to do that to really commit to looking at um listening to country as a, as a dramaturgy for dance and um, taking uh, the dancers out to different specific places and introducing them to some uh, cultural leaders who spoke not only about the historical um, story of a place, say in Bandelungan, like Windjana Gorge, you know, big, beautiful 300 billion year old reef is one story. Then you've got the Bugarigara story, the dreaming story for that place. And you know, big rocks that are connected to song lines. Then you've got Janamara story, you know, looking at the resistant fighter from that area who, you know, that land heard the first hooves of the foreign animals coming down the riverbed, you know. Janamara was lifted up through the cliff by his elder women, you know, with their own bodies lifting him injured after he'd been, you know, things, all this stuff was shared with these people, dancers, movers, and then they had to respond knowing all that information. And it was, I, I remember Miri saying how overwhelming it was to have so much information about one place we were sitting and then to get up and dance that place. Everyone had different things that they draw from. And so our process is a task-based improvisational start and um, we get to shape as we're going. But we had specific tasks that, that we, um, we wanted the dancers to uh, develop uh, movement phrases out of. So it, a task could be, there is no water. Some of that is drawn from tasks like that or, um, 
you are the last, last of your kind. You, um, what else we had? Be a burning tree in all its phases. Things like that, which, um, you know, every single body reacts differently. And then from there, we shaping and, you know, crossbreeding and, and, and the art of choreographing the scenes to, to speak to what we're, what we're speaking about. So it's, uh, we also went, you know, after hearing Edwin's beautiful crocodile poem about him being once human, we went to the crocodile park in Broome and um, watched all the crocodiles and, you know, one had its twisted mouth, he bit a boat motor and he had a broken jaw and, you know, we, we were looking at them and, you know, there were... Um, freshwater ones shaking like this to try and threaten us because we were too close and you know and we heard stories about you know one giant one that pretty much decapitated his young his small wife's head um because he just got sick of her and you know this kind of so you you know you take we draw from animal and things like that all all the elements of country as well to to influence and then humanize those things to um bring it into some of the characters that Josh was speaking about. Anything else? I think, I think that's great. Um, we sadly run out of time, folks. There's so much to talk about. The time that we have had with the company tonight has been extraordinary, moving for me, and this has just been so illuminating, this conversation. And there is going to be another conversation outside now with a climate scientist, I believe, and a performance theorist, um, a dialogue happening. I don't quite know who it is, but you're more than welcome to stay for that and have a drink. But before that, would you join me in thanking the company for their time and their performance today? <laughs>